Yeah, the bee stings. You were a mess. Welcome back, listeners. This is Season 1, Episode 9 of Takes of Our Lives, and we're looking at Season 1, Episode 9 of The O.C. today, titled The Heights. Steve, Hello. highs and lows today. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. I realize I forgot to introduce us. I'm Vince Kochi, and you're Steve Wilk. Yes, I am. I just finished watching My Girl, bawling my eyes out, <laughs> trying to keep it together for the pod. Uh, I want it's for takedown breakdown, but we've got plenty of fodder today. So I'm should we ask save right it now? Okay, I'll hold off on my My Girl thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Luke cried during My Girl. He reveals during this episode that that was the last time he cried before he cried to Marissa, asking her to take him back. Did we see uh, any tears in that scene from him? I know he, that that was like, you know, it's canon that he cried now. That That's official. But uh, I don't remember him crying. I'm not sure. Did that sure happen off screen? If Carmack could actually produce tears. Mm. It looked a little, he looked misty eyed in that one cutaway to him. Glassy eyed for sure. Mm, fair. I just want to ask, did he not cry when he was shot in the arm three weeks ago? <laughs> I don't Tough that's son of a gun. Quite quite a good uh good recall there. Um I don't know. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, crying from pain. Maybe you cry out like you scream out, but like tears from pain. Maybe maybe I'm just I've lived a really charmed life and I haven't been exposed to much physical <laughs> pain as an adult. I don't really see like tears uh, from pain. Definitely mm. some screaming and some writhing, but and he rides with the best of them. Hey, so why is this one called the Heights? Probably like nine reasons. I oh, damn! Yeah, that that's starting to get. We didn't. We're not going to do uh, troping mechanisms this week, but I've got a few tr- like OC, like meta OC tropes. One of them is the naming of the episodes, like the double to triple meanings, has is really starting to become a trope. Oh yeah, it's it, we're lousy with naming double entendres now, and I don't think that's going to let up anytime soon. Uh, so what happens in this episode, real quick rundown, first day of school, uh, the kids are all headed back to Harbor, and uh, that's exciting. Yeah, and a lot of orange juice being poured in, in those opening scenes. <laughs> oh yeah, Tropicana made bank. High acid content for, uh, from all of the, the residents of Orange County. I guess they are in Orange County, I don't know if that uh, has anything to do with it. <laughs> That's a great setup for your own joke, Steve. I'm impressed with that. <laughs> uh, so the the two the the bifurcated focus of this episode is the kids are back to high school, and of course it's carnival. I think one of like three carnivals that happens in the course <laughs> of the first season. Uh, the back to school festival and all of the like heartthrob action kind of comes to a head there this week. And um, then we also have the, do you remember the name of these heights? They have a Balboa, Balboa Heights. Balboa Heights, which is a, uh, the Balboa Nature Preserve is wetlands in Central California. And Kirsten's father's company, and by extension, Kirsten's company, 
just bought the rights to them. So they want to put apartments on the wetlands and cause all sorts of environmental terror. And that's what sort of happens in the episode. We go through and um, the love triangle rears its very ugly head again. And uh, we we cap it all off with some who's going to be with who action. Yeah, totally. Anna back, by the way. You you left that out. The love triangle that's actually worth a damn really starts percolating. We kind of are stuck in the middle of two love triangles. One that is uh, quite interesting and one that I really am ready to be done with. Um, but yeah, she's back. She's back from uh, her sailing trip to Tahiti. Yes, she is. And the Pittsburgh you know queen. <laughs> I want to talk about the the two triangles because... This sort of shapes, I don't know, the whole show, the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sort of what, sort of the thing that happens with the kids. Um, where do you stand on your own rootings for when? Before you saw, I know this is the rewatch reaction, so we're looking for it in retrospect. But when you were first watching the series, were you rooting for? I mean, nobody roots for Luke and Marissa, so let's throw that away right now. <laughs> Part of the reason why the whole triangle is so uncompelling. But were you rooting for Anna or Summer? So I didn't, I think, I mean, we, we touched on this in the on our very first episode. Um, I think at this point when I had watched, when I seriously sat down and watched the first season, I kind of knew how it, how it winds up. So my rooting interest was not my dri- the driving force of me being interested in this particular love triangle. Um, I did have, upon this most recent rewatch, what did find myself wondering, why is Seth just not head over heels about Anna? I mean, she is awesome, I think, objectively, but also is uh, kind of perfect for him and like clearly likes him. So that that was kind of my like what he's still I understand that, you know, your first crush and, you know, those rivers run deep, I guess. But, uh, you know, summer is nothing but terrible to him. And Anna is great. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, besides the drama of the show, what, why he's not just like head over heels over Anna. I, yeah, I wish I could tell you. Um, I think we're meant to, one, one quick caveat to that is I think we're meant to believe at least at this juncture where we are on the rewatch, uh, that Seth doesn't really actually get that Anna's into him. Yes. And speaking as a person, as a man who, um, is uh, famously terrible for picking up signals. Um, I can, I can, <laughs> I can commiserate with him a little bit. Um, I don't feel like I in my life I ever was uh, when it was anyone was throwing themselves that hard at me, especially what happens at the end of the episode. But um, nevertheless, I guess I can, I can, uh, I feel you. I feel you on that. Take. We're supposed to at least suspend our disbelief a little bit, uh, but to like sort of reveal what happens in the end, and we'll talk about this more in depth later. Uh, Anna is sort of, she's operating under the guise that she's teaching Seth a thing or two about how to get the girl. In this case, it's play hard to get, it's not don't throw yourself at her feet, something, something. Well, girls like to be chased by guys who are not into them, Vince. I don't know if you've heard that uh, saying before. <laughs> I was. Uh, thank you for having the quote on hand because I was going to summarize it. But uh, so she w- operates under this premise, and but it's painfully clear. And we have a really charming conversation with her and Ryan yet again, uh, yeah. where Ryan sort of exposes her, and she sort of owns up to it. Uh, Picking right up where they left off it. from the Cotillion episode. Good friend chemistry between them. 
Absolutely. I, and you know what? I always love when those characters that don't spend any time together have those moments. And I think they've done it really tastefully with Ryan and Anna. Um, it unfortunately comes right after a absolute weirdo, inappropriate line from Seth, who is starting to brush up against some homophobic vibes. Dude, uh, I that so, I mean, we can save it. For, let's just do it now. That That is like... I know Luke threw, throws the queer word around quite a bit, but that one really came out of left field. Seth, like, jokingly, you know, I guess accusing in this sense. I don't think it's an accusation, you know, um, or it should be treated as such. But Seth, like, saying, I, you know, are you sure you're not a lesbian or something like that? Very, very strange and off-putting. Totally uncool. Extreme, extraordinarily uncool. I don't know. I mean, part of me believes it's just like the early 2000s. We didn't figure it out as a culture. We were being bad. Um, but like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> just because she beat you at skee-ball? Jeez, dude. Most jarring thing I think that's been said uh, up to this point in this season. Because you expect Luke to say shit that's yeah, totally right. uncouth and, you know, unforgivable. But not not lovable Seth. Not Seth the prankster. No, not woke Seth, or at least what we thought, who who we thought was woke. <laughs> I guess yeah. that just goes to show maybe even the wokest of us were not that woke in uh, 2004. Mm, that is, it's poignant and it's good to remember, Steve. Hey, speaking of remembering though, what's up with this rewatch? What's changed since you, what what didn't you expect or what did you notice? Um, You know, well, I guess there's a, there's a big one that I'm going to save for an, a later segment. Um, I, the trope thing, let's just touch on that a little bit more. We got some OC specific ones. So they're doing really heavy. I especially, I feel like this is especially evident in the uh, beginning of the episodes, but they're really heavy on the match cuts. And what I mean by that is, um, so like we joked about it just a second ago, but pouring the orange orange juice they like cut from someone in the cohen kitchen pouring orange juice to marissa pouring orange juice marissa says maybe this year will be different that the cuts to kirsten saying you know maybe this year will be different there's a mugshot moment from last episode where i forget who says mugshot and then it cuts to sandy getting his picture taken um there's a one that i caught from even two episodes ago ryan and seth are talking about him and marissa and he, Ryan ends the sentence, he's like, Marissa and me, and then it cuts to Marissa in summer talking, and she just finishes the sentence, it would have never worked out. Um, so that is becoming uh, an OC-specific trope. And then go, the double meaning for the episode titles, uh, this one, the Heights, obviously, referring to the Ferris wheel, the Balboa Heights. I don't know if you counted any others, but uh, I feel like High each episode is... Yeah, you guess you could, you could toss that one in there, but... Um, but yeah, so that stuff, you know, that that's starting to uh, stick out more and more. Um, let me see, what else do we have here? I mean, I yeah, I want to fire back on that. I think um, I would say this is when the the show is starting to grow into its clothes a bit. Um, yeah, the thing that it's that kind of gimmicky, but it does like. Um, I think it's the the audience is expected to be like, oh, that's clever. And the show is like pretty kind of smug in its cleverness, or at least like, like, you know, wants to identify as being clever. Uh, I think that's especially evident, like I said before, in the beginning of these episodes. And then as the drama unfolds, it becomes, you know, they're a little less cute with, you know, some of the filmmaking choices. But um, yeah, that, that was something that kind of stuck out to me. 
it's it was becoming really apparent to me too i mean i think actually last episode is when it it really opened its wings but uh we're still going strong i think that is the language of this show if that makes any sense um to like suggest that the lifestyles of Newport's wealthy adults are not all that different from the lives of its still figuring it out high schoolers. Um, I'm not sure if I would go so far as to give it credit as some sort of intellectual thesis, but um, it's sort of kind of illustrating that to us week in and week out. Um, Yeah, it's drawing parallels between the the drama of the kids lives and the drama of the adult lives yes totally and that's cool and i you know i don't know how clever it is i don't know how interesting it is but what it is is familiar and it's something that you kind of look forward to as to tip you off about what's going to happen in the episode for sure anything that stuck out to you upon this most recent rewatch uh yeah, we already spoke sort of about it. It's just how bad this this central love triangle is and how impressed I am that the show endured. Now, it it might say one of a few things about the program. A, this is the cynical one. Um the average viewer can tolerate a terrible story if it has three beautiful people in it. Mm. I don't know. Um it cuz it's it's just wooden and pretty unbelievable and luke once again shows up and he says i just want you know to start things over i just want to i want to what is he what does he say i have it written down here give me one second because i'm furious about it (laughs) he goes let's just start over please yeah and we've heard that at least twice before it's i mean they just are recycling the same the same plot points for this already tired plot and then, you know, Ryan sees Marissa, and then they tell half-truths to each other. Now the trust is broken for the 30th time. And I, I'm I'm frankly just sick of it. It's not interesting anymore. It, it stopped being interesting several episodes ago. I agree. Um, Thank God they finally got the kiss out of the way. Yeah. So at least this seems uh, like a nine-syllable seems, because I'm fingers crossed, uh, that, that it might be put mostly to rest and we begin the main character's date arc where um we actually see the two our two leads get together but um i'm surprised that they wrote it out this long given how bad it was i wonder if at the time people were groaning about it or if everyone had stars in their eyes for barton Mm. great great question i think what you said to start this off is instructive that I think we're willing to, or maybe the intended viewers are willing to forgive a lot, um, depending upon the attractiveness of the people involved. And across the board, I mean, Ryan aside, he's kind of got, I read online that one of those um, like trivia sections on IMDb or something said they cast Ben, or I don't even know if this is why they cast him, but somebody mentioned that he looked like a young Russell Crowe. So what you know, I, I can see it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I guess Russell Crowe is considered an attractive man. Uh, I don't really get it. Although I'm just, but whatever. That aside, Chris Carmack and Misha Barton are like chiseled from stone. Like they really are. Like in maybe like in the like the upper like 0.5 percentile of attractive people who have ever existed, in my opinion. 
So couldn't agree more. That makes Very sense. Obvious. Um, and for so I, I guess I'll I, even me as a viewer, I'm willing to forgive some of the sins of this terrible love triangle just based on um, the way those two people look. So, but yeah, everything else about it is um, pretty close to garbage tier. <laughs> uh, I guess the non-cynical point of view on this would be that the rest of the show is starting to get really good. I mean, it's I think it's been honestly, I think it's been strong, you know, since since pretty much the beginning, um, you know, the 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 adult drama. I mean, it kind of heats up in a sense this episode, but oh, there, yeah. I'll just say I'll say it now. None of those scenes made my O scene. So, I mean, it's it's good shit by, you know, like our mainstays, uh, <clears throat> Kelly Rowan and uh, Gallagher, but. You know, Jimmy Cooper, that's another thing I wrote down here. What a sad sack episode for his ass. Poof, duh. I, Laughable attempt at breakfast. Although he does get a good moment when Luke comes over and he just kind of like totally shuts him down. Yeah, that is nice. It's I'm My rewatch reaction is especially weird because I didn't watch the series all that long ago for my first full time through. I thought I was going to be a bigger Jimmy stan. I'm starting to realize that maybe by Jimmy fandom was more like making Jimmy a mascot when he begins his boat life arc. Ooh, um, don't, don't, no spoilers, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, it's tough to like Jimmy right now. I thought he was going to be all over my top five, but his spot is vacant. Yeah, um, tough one. Tough one from my guy, uh, or your guy, I guess I should say. Um, <laughs> he's, he's my guy. I'm not giving up on him yet, Steve. I do love that scene where Luke comes over and he's like, Luke's like, ah, come on, Mr. Cooper, if anybody knows about being in the doghouse. And he's like, don't say it. <laughs> yeah, that that's good. a great line from Jimmy. Love that. Delivered um, with the right amount of candor. Yeah, he, he kind of like, he's, he's not pissed about it. He's just like, don't don't go there, man. <laughs> not ready to joke about this. <laughs> uh, well, joking about it is kind of what we do in this next segment, Steve. Ooh. What a segue. My God. <laughs> Thanks. It's not my first rodeo. Uh, we're going to do the takedown breakdown. Takedown breakdown is where we examine a couple of the things in the episode that we thought were funny, maybe not on purpose, sometimes funny on purpose, or things that we just didn't quite get. Uh, I had a lot of fodder. So much happened in the episode. Actually, it was pretty jam-packed. Okay. Um, when you Sorry to interrupt. When you say fodder, do you mean like light flybys or do you mean i guess that what what do you mean by that i think i think flybys layovers full-on stops and visits i a little of everything i've got i've got one big one let me just get this out of the way and then we'll have some fun yes let's do it okay this this might this maybe even like deserves like its separate own segment that we haven't thought of yet but um i'm gonna we got to go back to that love triangle so this episode is remembered mostly as like the big kiss episode. There's two large, you know, pretty significantly sized kisses. Uh, upon this rewatch, I mostly noticed another torturous series of miscommunications between Mar- Ryan and Marissa. Inexcusable. This, there's another example of Ryan feeling like he's been crossed or slighted and then just like totally acting out as a result of it. And I mean, I guess or I guess the question that I have is, are, are we supposed to believe that this is due to his background, this like his inequipped to deal with emotions or simple communication or 
as the, I mean, the alternative would be, I guess he's just a jackass. Like what's your take <laughs> on that? My take, well, my take is that he is a bit of a jackass, but I think the take that I think the show is trying to illustrate is, uh, which is extremely toxic and we could, we could tear apart the social fabric of it if we wanted to. I don't think we should. Um, but I think we're supposed to believe that Marissa makes him so crazy that he just can't help himself in these sort of moments. Mm. He okay. needs to have her and needs to protect her. But well, how does that explain his like inability to just be like, hey, I think I saw you and Luke talking after soccer practice. What's going on? Like, yeah, I, I guess that's that's my thing. Like, I, you know, if he f- if he's acting out because he's feeling slighted or whatever it is, you know, that is like a little bit more understandable. But like what the what I what's un- totally fully under un- non understandable to me is his inability to just like ask a simple question. It's, pr- it's a pride thing, right? He's he's a proud man. I think he's all, not to give the show too much credit, but he's also like a high school dude. Not the best communicators mm. uh, historically, but good point. It, but that's not really a good point either because that trope is often flipped on its head for Ryan when he's like, since he's from a rough part of Los Angeles, he's usually like grown up beyond that high school drama. He gets played for that a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but he doesn't really act like it. Not in the Marissa arc at all. Definitely not. And I mean, last episode he was like, I at least communicates well enough to convince dr kim to give him a second chance or give him a chance in the first place and then a second chance to take the test again uh something i How many railed about she's a chance machine um so yeah you're right he does he gets the benefit of the doubt uh from being mature and then like another super weird thing is at the very the very beginning of the episode they get to school class hasn't even started and he's like suggesting to marissa that they just like skip school and go to the pier and it's like dude you just like put kind of everything on the line to get into this school not to mention that like you know you're you you he's supposed to were to believe that he's got respect for kirsten and sandy like why the fuck would you suggest skipping school on the first day for no evident reason it was such a perplexing line such a perplexing moment i have to believe and this is just this is just speculation that it was just that it was a ben mckenzie just bottoming out of think the it's a ben mckenzie ad line no, I I want to imagine that it was intended to be a little cheekier than it was. Like, kind of like when there's okay. a bad day at work, it's like, hey, should we just quit? <laughs> right? It's like, I I want to believe that if the line was delivered that way, it could be like a sweet little, you know, commiseration moment without being serious. But it was played super straight by Mackenzie. Very straight. He did not. It like that's a good if yeah if. if Marissa had been like, oh, good idea. Let's do it. I, I got the sense that he'd be like, well, we're not going to school today. And, you know, just like jump in the car, do whatever it takes to get to the pier. Yeah. I Strange, strange episode for him. I think he uh, he redeems himself in the last scene. I did like some of uh, his choices there. But yeah, I don't know. That that was my big my big one. Just, you know, getting back to the frustration we were talking about at the top of our episode here. But yeah, inconsistent and kind of frustrating his just inability to you know and of course this is a stupid thing to like take down i guess for a teen drama yeah you know like they're why are these why do these teens have so much drama but uh (laughs) (laughs) 
but I don't know. It's just I found I found a particularly frustrating episode from him. No, it's it's worth it. If the triangle wasn't so just laborious to discuss, even we should have had our own episode or our own segment about it. Just like Triangle Watch 2019 or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think you did a, a service, a selfless service for breaking it down like you did. And it's got a lot of things that I think, honestly, missed opportunities. Mm. Well, it's not over. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> oh, God, I, don't, I wish. I don't remember it getting much better, but okay. I feel like I, we've belabored drink that one enough. <laughs> so what What do you want to – why don't you take the mic? Take some – I got some, some funner this. ones. I got, I got some more lighthearted ones. Uh, this first one comes from my darling uh, girlfriend, my partner, Sarah, who when Dr. Kim and Marissa are discussing her dropping out as social chair um, – so Marissa is in charge of doing all the planning stuff for the school as, you know, best girl, female lead usually is. Um, and she goes, she she's trying to get like out of the limelight, talking to Dr. Kim about abdicating the throne. And Dr. Kim hits us with this. You've been social chair for the last two years. You were elected by your peers. You can't just step down. And Sarah went, what are the social chair term limits in Harvard? <laughs> <laughs> You're elected for your whole high school career? Great observation. Yeah. So, and then that that's secret. Actually, that like kind of matters because it puts these kids at junior year. Uh, did we establish that up to this point? Uh, yeah, I think we get one lore drop last episode where they're like, it's your junior year, you know, big deal. Okay. Et, et cetera. But, um... Yeah, so that that made me laugh aloud. Uh, we got a good observation. Sh- I want to sorry to interrupt. I got to give uh, uh, your GF a shout out. So we had dinner. Uh, here's a little real real life lore um, on this Sunday. This is what you stay tuned for, listeners. Uh, we were discussing this podcast, and then she hit with on the group text a suggestion for a segment takes of our wives which i thought i mean we like to have fun with our segment names here i think that one actually is the number one best segment name that anyone has thought of for this podcast agreed. so fully agreed that 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 special shout out to her for that and then a, that was a, a little mini takes of our wives uh shout out that you just gave her so good job Ooh. by you sarah yeah shout out to sarah um we're gonna get more of those in the future i'm guessing and i can't wait i'm looking forward to it already Now, Luke, Luke Ward, he likes to show up and ring doorbells unwanted, doesn't he, Steve? Mm, Okay. (laughs) He's done it. Inconveniently barged in on Ryan and Marissa at least twice. He showed up at the hospital. No one wanted yes, him there. That was a that was a that was like because that so Co- Jimmy Cooper. He's like, oh, big day. We're getting a phone line installed, which was man, the oldest Yikes. thing anyone has has <laughs> anyone has ever said. But uh, but yeah, surprise Luke at the door. Um, hmm. This Here episode, he is again. last episode at the hospital. Yeah, I wish he were behind fewer doors. Personally, but. <laughs> how old are the high schoolers? Dude, the dude, that, ages. the dude that bumps into Seth, like the water polo player, was like 6'8", and, you know, like 35. 317 <laughs> pounds, 35-year-old combat veteran. Um, yeah, the girls who are 
chatting. And by the way, when you say, like, I heard she this, you're usually supposed to say, like, something scandalous and, like, insinuative. But she's like, I heard she overdosed on drugs. It's like, you're just saying what happened. We know what happened. Don't take on that vocal tone if you're just going to say the thing that happened. Uh, and she looked like she was approximately 50 years old. Yeah, those both those ladies, those women were... <laughs> Grown women of some stature in the community attending high school. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one's a, more of a shout-out instead of a takedown. We got a Magic the Gathering drop. Oh, dude, I wanted to bring that up at the top of the show. I have a question for you about that. Unless, here, you, you go first. Do you wanna, what do you have to say about that? Oh, I just want to out myself as an avid and chronic Magic the Gathering player for the last, you know, 10 years of my life. And uh, gave a little, I gave a little fist raise of solidarity to Mr. Cohen as he dropped that one. Yes. Okay, great. Because here's my question. So speaking as the Magic the Gathering authority, which you just uh, claimed yourself as, I would never argue that point on this <laughs> podcast. Um, so would the Magic community be offended by this reference? Is this like... Uh, my culture is not your tossed off reference for a cheap laugh situation or would they take your side now try to be objective here i mean i know it's hard to but because we're in a maelstrom of some of my favorite things all colliding and intermingling um i want to say at the time uh in 2004 it was uh, not a popular game it was going through sort of its it's a low point and it was definitely a reclusive community. Nerdness hadn't really resurged yet. It hadn't become like cool to be lame. Um, nowadays, I think magic is one of the like really wizards of the coast in general. They also are in charge of Dungeons and Dragons uh, and a couple other properties. They're at the forefront of the like social activism, having being on the right side of issues popular because we're inclusive and and like riding that like what once was out is now in in a big way because it's cool to like what you like so they're really poster childing for that at the time that would not have been the case i would guess a lot of like if any of the nerds who played magic the gathering had had any idea what was happening on the oc they would have rolled their eyes Mm, okay i that 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 makes a lot of sense the way you put that there because, yeah, I feel like the popularization of nerd culture over the last, pretty much since the show aired, you know, last decade plus, um, yeah, probably would have, I think it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like a, a tossed off reference, you know, maybe Matt, I'm speaking as someone who never really got into magic. That one still seems a little bit left of center as far as uh, popular nerd culture goes, but. Uh, I think it's a fair call, fair call to make. I mean, if you're comparing it to like Marvel, which are like the most popular like media pieces of media in culture today, um, whereas at the time, I think, you know, maybe the first or couple of X-Men movies had come out. But outside of that, it wasn't like, you know, this Goliath that is now. But um, yeah, good, good shot. I don't think that's the last time we'll hear from Seth talking about Magic the Gathering. I can only hope not. And I only got one more. Uh, it's like a it's cute, weird, interesting a TV about TV moment where uh, Summer is talking and trying to convince Marissa to go to school, which by the way, Marissa like just going to not go to school. It's, I guess it's sort of a high school early response to trauma, but sort of unrealistic. But anyway, Summer is trying to convince her to go back. And she's like, I know that your parents got divorced and your dad might go to jail and your 
not and you're living on a couch and you almost overdosed in Tijuana and Luke cheated on you <laughs> and and she like gives us like the full a mid-season download. recap of, of of like what happened in the show and it's like uh, that's kind of I don't know is it funny is it dumb is it ham-handed is it actually pretty slick I have no idea how I feel about it I kind of need to be taked through it a little bit but um I'll give you I my take it was funny it didn't stick out to me as like a it, it, I think it, it could if it was played for laughs it might have gone on a few seconds longer you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you could really sorry listeners belabor that like list of like <laughs> trauma that she's been through up until this point if you wanted to and draw it out for a laugh I I think it would have been more evident if that's what they were trying to do yeah I guess I just kind of I didn't even really even think twice about it so I think it was just like a you know, we need to get Marissa to, we need to show Marissa has reservations about going to school, but ultimately she needs to be convinced that going to school is the right thing. I sort of saw it as like a device to like catch up the the viewer. Could be, but we have those handy recaps at the beginning of the show for that. <laughs> How could I forget? That's true. A very astute point, Steve. That's all the break, the breakdowns and takedowns I had. Anything else for you? Yeah, I've got a few fun ones. Um, top of the show, I gave a line reading from Marissa uh, talking about her and Luke watching My Girl. So, My Girl spoiler. Um, this, <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect... This is maybe the most perfect example of a pop culture reference that I am like ultra aware of without ever seeing the movie. So, li- sorry, sorry, listeners, but um, Macaulay Culkin, I guess if you've watched the show, if you watch the OC, you already know this, but Macaulay Culkin dies at the end of My Girl due to a l- allergic reaction from bee stings. I've never seen this movie, but I know that and I've known that for as far back as I can remember. Um, you always knew it, sort yeah, of. I some, uh, yeah. And this, now we're not doing um, uh, aired today, gone tomorrow. But if we were, this is a real. This is like a excellent pre-internet meme. Like how how did I know about Macaulay Culkin dying of bee stings at the end of My Girl without ever seeing the movie? And it's not wow. because one of my friends told me. You know, it's just like I, it's been referenced enough times in the culture from TV and movies or whatever, wherever else um, that I knew about that without ever seeing the movie. So Steve, do you ever do this where you haven't seen a movie and an acquaintance that you know well enough to have a conversation with, but not enough to like be totally honest and accountable, ask you if you've seen the movie and you say yes, but you haven't seen the movie. You're only familiar with like every part of it because of pop culture and then you have to like live that lie for the rest of your relationship <laughs> with them. Um, I I cannot I can't say with certainty that I have. It feels like something I would have done at this point in my life. I've seen enough movies where I, I feel pretty comfortable saying no to the ones I haven't seen. Um, so probably probably have, but can't remember a specific one that I do that I've done that to. Uh, but I will say that I hadn't seen um, Back to the Future until probably seven years ago. But when I did finally see it, I felt like I had seen every scene of the movie based on it being lampooned in some in culture in some other way. That is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I was just about, or I've ever heard, Steve. I don't know if we've sort of subconsciously forgotten that we've had this convo before, but I was just going to bring up Back to the Future. Really? Okay. Because I lived that lie for so long. Like, 
it's just something you had to have seen and I didn't see it, but I knew everything that happened. So I, I yeah. said that I'd seen it. And then I finally did watch it for the first time in a hotel room like two years ago. And I was like, well, at least I did that. Yeah, I felt I like I was checked. doing homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the, I, I've got actually quite a few like blind spots from 80s, uh, like 80s movies. I blame it on the fact that my parents aren't particularly interested in showing me or my sister uh culture and also i I was the oldest sibling so i that stuff wasn't like passed down to me i was kind of had to forge my own Mm. way and therefore the 90s is my domain um but yeah that's that's really funny that back to the future was the one for both of us (laughs) so it must be something about the millennial experience that just makes it true um steve i you broached the subject and i know we're going off script a little bit but if if Luke had cried at a movie in the 2019 remake of The O.C., what movie would he have cried at? Oh, damn. What a good question. Um, okay, so are we imagining that he's uh, he's like Luke at this age or as a kid, Luke? Like a he's younger Luke, kid? He's Luke when he's Luke in the show. So he he is a 17-year-old kid, and he has only cried twice in his life one, now and two two minutes ago, and then four years ago when he was a teenager a tweenager and he saw a movie okay see i i read that as like he was probably the 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 age of the kids in my girl which are like nine or ten so but whatever 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 it's we we don't need to split hairs um so it's got to be a movie bear with me here steve it's got to be a movie where it's like somewhat embarrassing but it's also like a cultural touchstone like See, People I'm who, yeah, yeah uh, I hear what you're saying. Sorry, sorry, I interrupted you there. Oh no, I, I'm just saying like because it, it it's to be believed that like the two of them watched it together, right? So at that and, age, at this at this point in our history, I feel like it's got to be something Pixar, right? Like what? I think that's a good that's a good leaping off point. Okay. Oh, I've all right. I the one that so I haven't seen many Pixar movies in the last 10 years. The one that I did actually see in the theater when was inside out. And there is like a super sad part of that movie where like, there's like a, did you see that? I didn't see it. Okay. That's okay. So away. there's like a clown that lives inside. This is, that sounds super scary and creepy. There's a clown <laughs> that is part of this like girl's like imagination. And she's like growing up, right? She's like kind of hitting puberty and like, her feelings are changing and shit. And so she's losing parts of herself that she was when she was a kid. And like this, this like really like lovable, fun loving clown makes like a sacrifice and it's super, super sad. I think I could definitely see, I I, honestly, I, that might've been not maybe not probably not the last time I cried, but definitely teared up in the theater watching inside out. So that's probably my pick. That's a good one. I think, because that like speaks to the childhood innocence that they were trying to convey in that in that scene. I I don't know. Do, is it would they be too old for Marley and Me? I don't know. Have you seen Marley and Me? No. Is that the that's a movie with a dog, right? Yes, it's a movie about a a rapscallion golden retriever. What I like about that is as a parallel is because it's sort of like a saccharine, supposed to be for everyone crowd pleaser. It's not like a kids movie. Like I think. I think My Girl is like a movie with kids in it, but it was like sort of just like take the whole family this summer, etc. Mm. You know, and and it's it's you know, you might see it on cable on TNT after Fly Away Home or something <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon. 
So what? Wait. So what's the part of Marley and me that a kid the would have do- died? The dog it dies at the end. Oh like no! The, the titular Marley is put is put to sleep. That definitely would make uh, a young person cry. Oh man! <laughs> uh, that was fun, Steve. Very fun. Um, uh, two two more quick ones before we move on. Okay, the Ferris wheel operator who can just be bought and takes orders from anyone. <laughs> Whatever you say, keep him up there a little while for $10. Okay, pulls a lever, starts it up again. You know, two people are making out. The dude turns to him and is like, send it around one more time. He's like, you're the boss. Just... <laughs> okay. And then uh, when Summer is rejected as Seth's lab partner, she then goes and sits next to this total nerd with his hair parted down the middle. That just killed me. But come, come. <laughs> uh, quick shout out to Summer. She has a a hilarious line read. She goes, "Huh? I mean, ew." Yeah, she's looking at the frog for the first time. That was it's great, like, Summer. Oh. I also loved when she's like when she stops Luke and she's like, "Maybe you should have thought of that before you made out with her best friend." Ass. <laughs> oh, she's got one more awesome one. I can't believe I almost forgot this one. And it gets played off of like Anna, like tears into her for it. She is like flaming Anna for going on the boat trip, and she goes, "Sailing is so not the fastest way to get somewhere." <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's had a bunch of good ones this week. Good shit from her. Okay, you're all seen, Steve. The O scene. Oh, here we go. All right. The O scene's a scene that makes us go, oh, what scene made you go, oh, Steve? Um, Definitely pretty much everything that happened from the carnival, as soon as they reached the carnival and on. For So the the negative side of the specter, spectrum was the uh, thing that we discussed at the top of our episode here. The Again, yeah, we don't need to discuss that any further. Just super out of left field and really like not cool or funny um but uh so the but the positive side of this was anna the surprise kith the kith the surprise seth kiss uh, yes legit forgot that that happened um really great shit from her i i thought that was awesome and then it was so weird that summer sees it and then seth immediately goes over and talks to summer like, I understand mm. that he's like, oh, this is all part of the game, right? Like, you're trying to make her jealous. Even if that was the case, to, like, make out with someone, have someone else see it, and then immediately go and talk to that person is a weird move. Even if that's the plan, he executes it inexplicably. Yeah. And I know he's an idiot, but, like, how is she not like, what the fuck? Like, you just kiss, you know, like... I I wish I could tell you, Steve. Um, how bad did you feel for our our girl Anna? Pretty bad. I guess this goes back to the high school communication problems. There's such like a great move on her part to like take him aside. Like she does like the super baller move of giving the dude ten dollars to keep Ryan Marissa up there, and then like and then goes and grabs what she wants. Um, Is she yeah. just the best character? <laughs> she. Oh, so we- she Last well, she made Sandy, you our, our ultimate. Savior, you you remember what happened the first time when she came on the scene, and I put her at the top of the tier list, and I was I, I was almost kicked off the pod. <laughs> the screaming listeners, the screaming that I took after we hit stop on 
on the It's not recording. true, listeners. It's not true. Um, yeah, I my heart was ripped out of my chest. Damn. From that? Oh, yeah. From, yeah. Yeah. He walks away from her, and she's just, she, she did everything right, honestly. She, like, played it to perfect amount of cool. She just didn't account for the fact that Seth is, like, a known moron. Seriously. And then super smarmy, confident Brody when he takes some of Summer's cotton candy and then they like go and ride the tilt-a-whirl or whatever. Yeah. Yikes. Yuck. Uh, but that rolls right into Marissa and Ryan on the Ferris wheel. Um, I Great really, shit from Mackenzie in the Ferris wheel, by the way. I like that when he calls her, he's like, what kind of carnival are you running here, Cooper? I thought that was fun and cute that he called her <laughs> by her last name and... Um, I really fucking like that these women are making the first move. Again, I don't want to, this might be an overshare, but <laughs> you know, this would have been uh, really <laughs> helpful when I was a teen. Um, <laughs> Steve, very vulnerable app from you. I, I, I know. Yeah. This. No, I'm could have. Yeah. My development would have been uh, rapidly increased, but, uh, <laughs> that aside, that was a good scene. Despite all the bullshit we had to kind of like, you know, wade through to get to it at least between ryan marissa and luke um really nice i liked how that part ended uh yeah i don't know what do you what's what's what do you got for ocene uh well the the kiss the anna kiss is like indisputably the ocene it was such a slam dunk that i knew you were gonna tackle it so i have like a connective tissue ocene like it's not part of either of the main plots it's when Sandy gives us a line, and it's a really simple uh, take, I think. We're always one mistake away from someone taking you away from us. Mm. Hits us with this. He has a very fatherly moment. It's easy to forget in the, you know, fast-paced world of high school drama, who's kissing who. Uh, But, like, the show's premise is this troubled youth taken in by a lawyer and a real estate magnet with more with bigger hearts than they do have heads. And um you know, it's the show could very easily just ignore that and not revisit it, but the fact that we got like a pretty foundational little back and forth about it, something as lame as like a slide tackle in soccer. Um it was it was cool. It, I really liked it and I was like darn if i don't like both these actors on screen right now because uh ben mckenzie his ryan interpretation of like i i lost sight of what matters and he has a very chagrined pride swallowing moment and then he apologizes for for it later to luke yeah good call no yeah that that was a nice scene between uh, I always like a Sandy and Ryan scene because you they, they don't really appear on screen very often for considering like how much we're supposed to believe that like Sandy sees himself in Ryan and like the you know the this the show starts with their their relationship like the whole reason Ryan's you know made it to the OC in the first place is because of Sandy but we really don't get too much time with them together and when we do it's yeah that I like that one totally Steve we've done a some might say admirable job of leaving this pristine much like the balboa wetlands were left pristine <laughs> before what is what, the newport group the newport moved group. in on them they brought uh, their uh, uh their back hose and their skid loaders just like uh the people who <laughs> tore down fern gully 
that hey another one luke could have cried at um that's more our generation though i feel like that that was yeah the actual luke in the show could have cried yeah right yeah i guess i was the same age as him so yes i for all for all of those all of those of you who cried at fern gully out there you're you're uh, heard yeah we hear you uh Steve, let's throw it over to Bees Get Degrees. Bees Get Degrees. I feel like we haven't done this one in a minute, but um, for those of you who can't remember, this is where we put a spotlight on the B plot of the episode. I'm going to kick it off to you, Vince. What was the... Uh, you want to just... I mean, I guess there's... there's not. It's not really a take situation. You want to take us through the, uh, the B plot of this episode? Yeah. So we've alluded to the fact that uh, this cherished piece of natural California landscape is being bought up by the ever voracious moguls at uh, Newport Group. Uh, Caleb, we know him, and Kirsten, one of our faves, they both work for the Newport Group. The Newport Group is Caleb's company. So the crux of the episode's B-plot is that what case comes across the desk at sandra's new job did you just say sandra <laughs> i said sanders his his real name's sanford at sanford's new job well it's the protections case for the balboa wetlands and it is tantalized in front of him by the too minxy for her own good in this episode bonnie somerville playing oh, rachel there's a take yeah, I think she overplayed it. She was pretty good in the last two episodes, but she she took it too far this episode. Basically, Sandy's enticed to take the case against his wife, his wife's company. And he's he spends most of the episode saying, should I, shouldn't I? It's a huge breach, breach of ethics. I'll probably ruin my home, et cetera, et cetera. But it's something I really believe in. Uh, goes back and forth, can't decide. And then in, in the end, he decides to take the case. Meanwhile, the press gets wind of it. Who knows how that happened? And uh, basically, husband versus wife in the arena of law is is plastered all over Newport. Yes, and that, but ultimately, it ends with him deciding to take it, which I guess at that point he already had. But Kirsten kind of coming to grips with it, and where the viewer here is left believing that this is ultimately not going to harm their relationship we have that delightful scene where kirsten god i got just shout out i'm gonna leave it at this i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know wade in these waters too long but kelly rowan in the hot tub at magic hour that that was the real that was magic just i'll leave it at that but so yeah we're we're led to believe that you know this is not gonna harm their relationship yes it's going to be uncomfortable and unpleasant at times but their their foundation is strong enough to handle this. I want to talk about this, Steve. There's a lot of angles. First of all, I, I have so much I want to say about it, I can barely formulate my thoughts. But first things first, sick premise for an arc. Mm. I This is like really good. Yeah. Premise-wise. Uh, mostly because we're led to believe that it's going to be Caleb v. Sanford death match. Yeah. Cage Can't match. Can't wait. <laughs> Who are you taking? Hell in a cell. <laughs> uh, so looking forward to that. But it's also like a compelling philosophical question. It led to a philosophical conversation in, in my household um, about whether 
you know, the the legal ethics of it notwithstanding, which the conflict of interest is egregious and, and Sandy shouldn't take the case in the real world. We know that. But in, in TV show world, where that sort of thing doesn't matter, what do you think about his decision to actually try the case when it would jeopardize his relationship with his wife? I think that we are never actually worried that this is going to like end their marriage. This is not a discretion. He, I'm trying to let me formulate this thought here. He's now this this happens later on, and we've we've actually already kind of run up against this uh, with these two. But a situation where one one of the partners has cheated on the other, like that that is kind of looked at that. This is not that, you know what I mean? Like this is going to be uncomfortable, but ultimately it's like Kirsten smile when she says you're going to take this. That's it right there. Like she, this is what she likes about him. This, he was right during that argument about taking the job in the first place. This, you know, he like, she likes that this is part of his personality. Now she's going to be confronted with dealing with the uncomfortable parts of that, but you know, this is part of the reason why she married him in the first place. I believe that they, the viewer, I never really felt like their their marriage or their relationship was in any danger based on this conflict. I think my take my take is almost identical to that. I think, um, and the way that it was posed to me by my partner was like, isn't any potential risk to the relationship like not worth it? given the fact that like you could just be you could just be replaced on the case like what about your personality makes you insist on being on personally competing against your spouse in public like and i think it's a good point i think it's a it's a good thought experiment i think the only reason i don't agree with that stance mostly being that sandy is is bad for doing it is that I think we're supposed to reach an understanding as the viewer that he and Kirsten are ultimately on the same page about them both wanting it to be true about the other that they would do the thing that they're doing. Mm, That's very well said. Although Sandy, he, I mean, he doesn't like the, the ethical part of Kirsten's job is not like what he likes about her. No, right. He likes that she is practical, though. Yeah. Like, it's clear that he, if he had, like, a true and utter moral qualm with with what she was doing, I mean, would, would it be sustainable for them to be, be together, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I just, I just think it was, it's uncommonly fraught with philosophical junctures which is something that the show is not really known for or excels at. Uh, but I found, I found it really compelling. And a lot of good scenes as well. Totally. Where do you put this up against uh, the... If we're, if we're comparing B-plots here, this versus the Jimmy Cooper's legal troubles. That one, never, say, that one hasn't really paid off. I mean, I know he lost his family and he's like living in that apartment. But for how much legalese that they discuss in this just this episode alone, we never really get like a download of what jimmy cooper did besides make some bad investments yeah he said well he gives us one one time we get him where he's like then you know i he took he took 
money from his clients to cover a loan. Right. He, he was like, loan and they lost that stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Is that like a expression yes. that my dad would say? I feel like <laughs> so yes, that's exactly, that's exactly. illegal. But like you can break that down into like, you know, a dumb saying that a boomer would use. So <laughs> it, um, what I'm saying is that didn't really pay off the way that this like the questions, the moral questions that this like brings up has. No. Um, but what the Jimmy Cooper plot did have is like raw chaos like oh like a dude punching another dude at a cotillion yeah like people went bankrupt like the marriage got nuked from orbit like fisticuffs multiple punches like i i that that's too good it like kicks everything off and sets the stage for newport this is a more this is a better premise and it's a more intellectually meaty yeah much more nuanced joining yes exactly but nothing beats the flash in the pan of of the jimmy cooper fall from grace that's just too good steve any more thoughts on the b plot um yeah i basically just wanted to shout out those two scenes the the scene where kirsten originally like initially confronts him and like throws the bag lunch at him and then i the <laughs> i said it once but i'll say it again this the slight smile she gives him when she says you're gonna take this like and then she ends the scene being pissed. She's like, oh, it's not even ethical. And he's like, I feel pretty good comparing ethics with your father. And then she hits him with the, as long as you're comfortable, and then leaves. Like, that was good, good comeback by her there. Um, yep. A nice face save. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that final scene where she's in the hot tub and he comes with roses. And we realize we that, that mom, mom and dad are going to stay together. Thank God. Um, but... <laughs> uh yeah no just like good shit and i don't know i i take issue with your bonnie somerville was a little too too cute in this episode i thought i think she she brings a good energy and the right tone for that uh that part she got a little too fresh like when she was like oh you're not she's like oh you're not having sex are you Sanford? <laughs> it's like Yikes, yeah, she, Somerville, beat around the bush a little. I was gonna use the so what's it gonna be your sex life or the swamp rose for my uh, intro reading, but the my girl was too good to pass up. But yeah, um, so yeah, I like her. I like I like her the energy she brings to the show. We, we haven't seen the last of Kirsten being jealous of her. No, uh, better or worse, we'll see. We'll see if we can't get Rachel to crack the top five on one of these that was what i was thinking i wonder if that's gonna happen honestly i don't i don't think she could have gotten there this this episode but i was having a hard time uh filling out the number five spot same here uh but before we discuss that why don't we uh weigh in do you think this is a foundational episode steve or is it filler i think bear with me here i think this is soft foundational and it's because of the carnival scene we get the seth anarchist but i guess ultimately lore wise for the show most importantly the ryan and marissa first kiss which is a good scene i honestly if they could have fucked that up but they didn't they they did it right totally agree i i it's a it's a i think it's a not quite like a borderline but it's it's a soft foundational I think it kicks off. We have the a, the new sort of mid season B plot arc that we're gonna get. Um, we we obviously get first day of school, which is important for tone setting for the rest of the mm. mid season. 
And then, of course, the the twin kisses. Like, what does it mean? It sets up the relationship dynamics for the rest of the show. Uh, tier list, Steve, you alluded to it. It's kind of a tough one this week. Ooh, I had I had trouble. I had trouble uh, filling out five. Who is your five? I'm dying to know because I know it's not Jimmy because you already you you tipped your hand a little bit earlier that it's not him. <laughs> you t- nothing. You don't let me get away with anything, Steve. Uh, <laughs> it is not Jimmy. My number five is Ryan. Ooh, okay. Tell me, he's not on mine. He, I, I, like I was saying, I had trouble filling out the five spot. He was a name that I was kicking around. Probably could have made it in there, but ultimately a little too frustrated. I, I, I went off earlier, so I'll save it. But, uh, or I guess I've already done <laughs> it. No need to save. Couch it, it Wilk. Um, yeah. Now I, I think he's clinging to the top, the the top five list for dear life. Um, the swell of other characters who are overtaking him is becoming violent. Uh, he's saved by no Julie Cooper in this episode. Ooh, uh, really? Yo, we gotta talk. Let's talk about that quick. So she like comes in and out hard, and when, when like that, that sounded a little gross, but <laughs> um, so like in yeah, character for Cooper though. So uh, she's was was last was last episode the the escape was that the hospital one? Yeah, and she and she hit number two. She's she's like for me batting four hundred. In that episode alone, she's not in the previous one, and she's not in this one. I'm not. It's just. It's weird. It is weird, and like it's no mention odd. of her, like not like oh she's, you know she's visiting relatives in you know the Bay Area or wherever, or back in Riverside or not that she would ever deign to go back there. <laughs> um. Yeah, but so you know we already talked about it, Ryan. I like his height gag. I thought he played that really well. His moment with Anna, really nice. That line where he's like, what kind of carnival are you running here, Cooper? He's like trying to keep it together. Very funny. Uh, Kiss was good. Chagrin talking to Sandy was good. Nice form on the slide tackle. Not mm. sure if Mackenzie actually did play soccer. but That was really uh, convincing, though. I mean, I guess I don't watch too much shot soccer, so they might have overdone it. But it looked like whoever flipped in the air there, good job by you. Yeah. <laughs> Carmack stunt double earned his wage that day. Um yeah, I, I thought he was good. I thought he was just straight up good. Obviously, some uneven moments, especially early on in the episode, where we can't really tell, does he want to go to school? Is he already over it? I, I'm not really sure. But overall, I like Ryan at five. Okay. I'll buy it. Um, I put Jimmy there uh, pretty much. Well, you know, I got to pour one out for the single dads just trying to make it work, trying to make French toast on the first day of school. Um, <laughs> but... The scene where he shuts down Luke, that's that's the one that I wanted to point out. Yeah, I already did totally. the, the line, the doghouse line that, that killed me. But just like a good good vibe from him in that episode. He's like clearly totally. clearly not going to bend to Luke, but he's also not like being like the jackass dad, the jackass boomer dad. Totally not. He's not booming it up. Uh, he, he also presses the attack with a second follow-up line. He's like, don't say it. And then Luke goes, what can I do? And he says, you can leave. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Got him. Good cadence. Good, good, uh, good Jimmy impression there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I put him at five kind of just like I threw my hands up and put a name down, but I'm sticking by. Hey, he can take every win he can get at this, at this <laughs> juncture. Uh, who do you like at four? Uh, four, I put Kirsten um really like interesting the, yeah great mad at sandy but deep down you know it's not going to affect their relationship we touched on that on uh, bees get degrees and then yeah i 
again, don't want to say too much about this, but her in the hot tub, just Steve, chef's kiss. I'm starting to learn a lot about about you and about your feelings about Rowan here. Yo, she um, she's a god. She's a goddess. <laughs> she owns the scene. It's it's the like quiet, confident, comfortable sexuality mm-hmm. that really drives it home. Totally. I was a little too bashful to like try to put into words what I how I feel about her. <laughs> uh, but you just did it for me. So thank you for that. I think the Steve Wilk, Kelly Rowan love story is already better than the Ryan Marissa <laughs> loop triangle. Um, my number what do, four. Yeah, what, who do you have it for? Hold, hold your tomatoes, Wilk, please. Because I already know we're going to be in conflict yet again because the very nature of how we run our lists. But I have Anna in four. Okay. No, I'm not going to scream about that. I have, I she she appears on my list a little later on, not too much later on, but let me hear it. Uh, well, I think it, she has momentum working against her. Same thing that bailed Ryan out, just being like just good enough for like three episodes in a row. Uh, she's coming in hot, but coming out of the cold. We haven't seen her in forever. And she does an awesome job. Uh, the character and and uh, Mary also uh, just jumping back in like she didn't miss a beat. She's just one of the one of the group. Um, and she's so much fun. Yeah, it 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 is not doesn't feel weird her coming in um like that and yeah great listeners great IG follow by the way Samiri Armstrong absolutely true hasn't aged a day in fifteen years looks like she has a delightful life probably in California somewhere she's skateboarding she's posing with you know pink hair excellent job by you throw her a follow you won't you won't be disappointed you won't regret it. Okay, good good shit that she was your four? She's my four. So who do you got a three? Three, I've got Seth, the old mainstay, coming in like right in the middle of the tier list. I don't think he's ever, you know, fallen below four for me and never reached over two or maybe even over three. But um, good lines from him, fencing, what century are you in? <laughs> Luke, no, that crybaby gets to gr- drown in his own tears. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, he gets minus a hundred points for clearly you're a lesbian. Um, yep. But yeah, it wasn't fully deducted for, for me to bump him off the tier list. Who's your three? Hey, he's my three too. Okay. I feel like um, Seth is old, reliable. Oh yeah. He's exactly in that four three two spot for me. Um, haven't haven't yet seen him ascend. That's a good be- question. Will Seth? Can Seth break into number one? If you were asking me before this season, when I hadn't thought about it analytically and I was thinking about the series more organically, and Seth obviously rises to the top for people's fan favorites very frequently. He's a, he's a beloved character and oft talked about in the you know retrospectives on this series. Mm-hmm. Um, I am curious. I'm curious. He's got to get his old man out of the way. Sandy's got to start a slump. Because he's built up a lot of momentum. Right. Yes. Yes, he has. And based on how we, the rubric of this tier list, it's going to be hard to knock him off. But even even if it's just for one episode, because he, he hasn't, Sandy hasn't been on, he hasn't kept the one spot in both of ours the entire time. He's been Mm-mm. dethroned a handful of times here and there. But I just don't know if Seth's got it in him to do it. But we'll see as we continue on this journey. See, we shall. Number two, I'm 
I'm divining that we've got a little 2-4 flip-flop going on because I've got Kirsten here at 2. Oh, wow. Good. Uh, you're very perceptive. Yes, we do indeed. I have Anna. Why don't you, why don't you take the floor? I mean, what can I say about Rowan that hasn't already been inked on here? And <laughs> I don't. I, now I'm starting to feel like I'm a little get a little getting a little uncomfortable here. But. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I'll back off. No, I, not, I don't it's wanna, not from you. I just yeah. Maybe I, I should. Chill. I don't want to soil a beautiful thing. Um, I will say she was she was awesome in this episode. She made me like take the side of the bad guys a little bit. Like she's she's supposed to be the bad guy in the B plot doing the unethical thing. She's the Darth Vader. She's the henchman of the bad guy. She's not yeah, exactly. bad at her core. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and that makes Sandy Cohen Padme. And that's, I'm, I'm in on it. <laughs> I agree. I almost split um, out my high life. That was- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she is great. She has some real fire in her veins. She's got some like cute, tender, long time loving type vibes with Sanford. Uh, where they're like, you know, we, we're trying to find time for romance, even given the strange climate that we see ourselves in. She calls him on his bullshit a few times. And, you know, she's she presents an even-keeled defense of otherwise bad practices that made me go, huh, maybe. Yeah, that good stuff from her. I did have Anna at my number two spot. I'm I'm charmed. Um, you know, I'm... T- I'm I'm an easy mark, you know, come through <laughs> with a pixie haircut and uh, willing to help out the like clueless idiot nerd. Uh, and you've got my heart. But yeah, no, more specifically, the surprise kiss, kiss with Seth. Man, that's a hard thing to say. The surprise <laughs> kiss twister. with Seth caught me off guard and just like, yeah, charmed me till no end. Um, just generally lovable, uh, willing to help him out. Like, like a good friend and also, you know, like, obviously, like, there's feelings there as well that he's unable to detect. But uh, that's not to say that she's not without her downsides. Questionable outfit by her at the carnival. We got, like, an olive skirt with, like, a black. Oh, <laughs> like, this, it, I mean, this is one of the things that in in the proto-review of the show, when I watched it through with my, my significant other for the first time, Sarah and I, we... We often, even though I love Anna and she's not a big fan, we agree that her insistence upon wearing like a tank top over a t-shirt over a long sleeve of all like different belly lengths. And they're like, yeah, it kind of looks like child dress themselves before school. It's like, it's, it's kind disastrous. of disastrous. Like I, th- I feel the same way about Seth. I pointed this out on one episode before, but he's wearing like a button up, like, like a dress shirt almost with a t-shirt over it. Like, I get, like, you know, <laughs> I lived through the 2000s. You know, I was in high school at this time. <laughs> I'm not saying that that was totally inaccurate. But, uh, yeah, just, like, what the fuck? I understand that, you know, like, the like the um, thrift store fashion was, like, really popular back then. I'm not quite sure if the kids are wearing that these days, if they're shopping at Goodwill and Savers. But uh, back then, they certainly were. I can verify that. Um a lot of cardigans in my crew. A lot of a lot of kids wearing like Izod and like Lacoste cardigans that they bought for like five dollars at uh, Savers. But anyway, um, yeah, questionable ass decisions by both of them. <laughs> Outfit wise, but uh, you know, a, a black spot in an otherwise excellent episode from uh, Samari Armstrong. Um, should we say it at the same time? Number one, 
Yes, sir. We are talking about Sandy Sandy Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> why? Did, why? Uh, yeah. How did he crack your top one this this go around? How didn't he? He uh, he actually made it believable that he he's put in this very Hollywood moment. Like, are you going to fight your wife on in the newspaper? <laughs> like, you going to do this? Like, of course not. And then he he like somehow he's got enough charm and warmth and conviction to sell it and make it believable and make me take a side. Even though if it were the real world, I would be like disbar this dude. <laughs> Yo, is that ch- all right? This is like the fourth time now that I've asked that we get like some legal representation of our own to you know like answer some of these questions. I understand the conflict of interest thing, but. I don't know who, whoever the defendant, I guess in this case, the Balboa Land Trust. Like, if they're asking for this dude, you know, who works at this law firm, why is this? A, why, is this really a problem? I'm asking. I'm. I don't know. I far be it for me. I am not a lawyer. They breezed either. through. They I breezed over that pretty quick. Like they, but they did address it. They did. He was like, "Well, I, I can't even take it. It's a conflict of interest." And then. Somerville. I keep calling her Somerville because I love that name. But her name is Rachel. Rachel says, oh, they've requested it personally, so it's all hunky-dory. It's like, that doesn't like, that's not how it works, I don't think, because the safeguards are in place to protect well-meaning but dim-witted clients from themselves. Like, just because the Balboa Trust wants him to do it doesn't mean there's not an extreme possibility that he tanks the case on purpose because his wife represents the interests of the plaintiff. But so, this isn't like a. This isn't like a, a. What's the thing? What's it's like civil versus criminal. This isn't. You know what I mean? Like there's. It's not criminal, but I. You know, I. I would be surprised if a husband was allowed to try a case against his wife's company. Mm, okay, let's let's get some intel. But I don't on that. know. We we both know a couple of lawyers. We can we can get these questions. We answers. sure do. Okay. Do some primary research. I, for next week, Steve. You you said it. I'm gonna add a couple, just a couple lines. Oh, thank God, because the lack of golf courses around here, it's it's tragic. <laughs> and then when uh, Ryan, they're t- Ryan and Sandy are talking in the kitchen, and uh, Sandy's like, "What about Seth? You got Seth?" And he's like, "Seth has his women." And he goes, "Seth Cohen, really? <laughs> Good shit by him." And then yeah, just the we talked about it before, but the the scene between Ryan and Sandy in the the um, the beach house. The be- is that what it's called? The beach yep. house, the pool house. I call it beach house too. I think it's new canon. It's takes of our lives canon that it's the beach house. Excellent. Uh, God, can anyone stop him? Can anyone stop Gallagher? Dude, I really don't. I mean, I think Seth has a has like a puncher's chance. I'll throw uh, Kelly Rowan in there just just to spice things up. Jimmy. I think if anyone's going to be a world beater, it's going to be it's going to be Anna. Ooh. Like once she gets. Once she gets episode after episode under her belt, if she keeps doing this, I, you know, I'm a huge Anna stan. So I could have her taking over one spot. So I, I think, my cons- but it depends. My concern with Anna, so I guess I'll speak for myself because you, you haven't been like swept up the way I have. I feel like the part of the reason I'm putting her near the top is because I'm really like taken by her injection of new energy. And once she just becomes another mainstay you know uh it's it's gonna be hard for me to separate the the wheat from the chaff i don't know i actually now that i'm thinking about it julie cooper could could storm into the the one spot 
She's got to stay healthy, though. All this time on the bench, I it's not good for her numbers. No, it's a real Blake Griffin situation for her. I would have said Derrick Rose, but that would have made me too sad. All right, let's let's move on. What's what's <laughs> your cliffhanger for the this week? This has been a long one. I am looking so forward to when this series in the it takes a real turn in the middle. I remember this. It becomes sort of like Friday Night Lights, but for soccer. Ooh, and uh, we get we get to see Ryan competing on the pitch week in week out. I just wonder if he's going to score a goal in the big game. Yo. Are you, this is, okay, I clearly you're joking because I don't think they bring up soccer again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's never I mentioned. Was, you can cut that if you want. I, that, that I, was, I was about to call you out, but I just remembered what we're doing here. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> mine is super serious. It's Jimmy Cooper, Mr. Mom, laughable attempt <laughs> at French toast early in the episode. Does he ever get the hang of it? Jet black, Does rock hard pieces of bread. Book? It comes up twice. Yeah. <laughs> How much longer will Marissa be subject to her father's terrible cooking? Hmm. I got a here's a here <laughs> well, is a serious question. Cooking must have been difficult without the internet. Straight up, because you get videos for one and like a million different recipes for each dish to like cross reference. Like I, when I'm when I'm making even like a simple drink, if I'm making like a gin martini, I'm gonna like look at three recipes to make sure that they're like, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> this one says two ounces, this one says four, better do yeah. three. <laughs> but yeah, even something like French toast, it's like you actually kind of would need a cookbook if you didn't know how to make that back in 2003. I guess I may, maybe I don't know. Was Google around back then? I don't even know. It's tough to say. He, I mean, he doesn't have a phone. He definitely doesn't have a computer right now. So. The phone He's would do you at no the mercy good. of Barnes and Noble. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Oh well, Steve. Excellent episode. Lots happened. We had lots to talk about, uh, and I'm sure the same will be next week. Until then, take it till you make it.